Hello everybody and welcome to Preparing the Way. We're doing a series right now called Nobody Ever Told Me That. And it's a series that's looking at some foundational truths that for many Christians, they go for years and years in their lives without knowing. For example, have you ever heard a testimony that goes a bit like this? I got saved 30 years ago. I got baptized in water 15 years ago. I got filled with the Holy Spirit just last year. And you say to someone who, with a testimony like that, why did it take 30 years for you to be filled with the Holy Ghost? And invariably the reply will be, because nobody ever told me. I have found that there are some basic scriptural truths that I think the devil wants to hide from God's people. And that's what this series is about. Scripture says this, for lack of knowledge, God's people perish. Knowledge. And I wouldn't have thought that. It means that there are key pieces of knowledge in the Bible that if I don't have them, my life can perish. That means to wither away. Welcome once again to Preparing the Way. Through this series, nobody ever told me that, we're going to look at healing, prosperity, deliverance, salvation, and keys for your life. So please stay with us. You can go to our website. The address is on the screen there. You can find many other teaching series there also. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's program. God bless you. When Jeanette was a child in school, she was about eight or nine, the teacher came in one day and the teacher said, everybody sit down, quiet, close the door. Some money has been stolen. And the person in this room has stolen it. So nobody's leaving until we find out who it is. And the teacher started to walk up and down the aisles in the classroom and began to look each girl in the eye and say, did you steal it? Or maybe it was you. And Jeanette began to turn bright red. And she began to feel very, very, very guilty. She began to look very, very guilty. And all the emotions, and in some ways all the appearances of real guilt, were on her, with her, in her, because that's just the way she is. It's a funny thing, the conscience. It can play tricks on you. Your conscience can actually make you feel very guilty for stuff you haven't done. And you've got to know how to handle it right through your life. And maybe nobody ever tells you that. That's the problem. You can live your whole life long carrying guilt, carrying weight upon you that God never designed you to have, right? I, I, I believe that many Christians are slaves to a broken conscience, right? We live under that strict, harsh rulership and we need to learn how to deal with it. If that's the case, if you don't know how to handle your conscience, when to silence it and when to agree with it, the trouble for you is this, you're never going to enter into the joy of salvation. 
You're never going to know the liberty of forgiveness that God has intended for you. The conscience is a funny thing. I mean, to begin with, God didn't want you to have one. Adam didn't have one. So there's Adam, he's in the Garden of Eden, he didn't have one, Eve didn't have one. A conscience is the knowledge of good and evil. Now there was a tree in the Garden of Eden which had upon it the knowledge of good and evil, but it wasn't in Adam. And it was the one thing that God said, I don't want that in you because that's going to ruin you altogether. Adam was truly innocent. What innocent means is you don't have any knowledge of good or evil. Simple as that. So God saw Adam, saw Eve, and he loved their innocence. It was beautiful. And so he says to them, I want you to stay just like that child. So don't touch that tree, whatever you do. Now, any parent understands that. Because that's what you say to your children. You don't want your children either to come to a knowledge of evil. When your child gets to 14, 15, 16, and they say to you, I'm going into town, I'm going to a nightclub or something, you go, <gasps> and your automatic loving reaction and response is to protect your child from evil. I don't want you to know about those things. I know what goes on down there. And so you try to tell them not to go, and it's just like God in the garden. You try to protect them from the knowledge of evil. But of course, mankind didn't obey God. We know the story all too well. Adam took the fruit just like Eve. And now we've got a problem. So now God had the child he loved, but oh, now he has a knowledge within him. Now he has a conscience within him, the knowledge of good and evil. But the trouble for Adam, and the same trouble for you, is that Adam didn't have the moral character to cope with that knowledge. Adam couldn't deal with it. You see, your conscience is not God. The Holy Ghost, that's God. But your conscience is not God. It's part of a fallen humanity. Yes, it's the imprint or the fingerprint of God, but it's not God Almighty. That's the Holy Ghost in you. Your conscience is actually part of the fallen nature. You see, lost and saved have a conscience. Right? Lost and saved, and the lost are without God. And they have a conscience. So we've got to be very careful how we handle this, how we deal with it. Think back to the Garden of Eden. The conscience comes into the human race, but it wasn't what God wanted. So now you've got this damaged human being with a knowledge of right and wrong, but he or she can't cope with it. So God looks and he thinks, what will I do? How am I going to deal with you now? How can I help you, my child? So what he does is he sends what we call the moral law. And he begins to teach and educate this conscience about right and wrong. Okay? And then as you proceed through your Old Testament, you will see that that didn't work very well. So God says, okay, I'll write my law on your heart. I will put it within you. And things get better then again because Jesus comes. And when Jesus comes, we have a living example, a walking, talking example of what someone who lives in good conscience should look like and be like. So all these things help us. But the great help to live within our conscience is the Holy Ghost. When the Holy Spirit was actually sent, this is a much more sure guide for us because you know, the Holy Ghost is within us and is perfect, whereas your conscience is not. Now, having said that, the Holy Spirit is not the final rule within us, not whilst we're on this earth, I'm afraid. In fact, the final rule 
within our conscience and how we live, it's not Jesus whilst we're on earth. It's not the voice of Jesus. It's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. It's not prophecy. The final rule whilst we live on this earth is this right here. It's the Word of God. And God, said, God puts it like this. He says, I have exalted my word above my name. I have exalted my word above my name. And you can read all about it. Peter tells us about it. He says, look, it's a, it's a funny old world we live in. And what happens if you try to grope around in the dark and feel and listen to God? And you think you hear Jesus speak to you? Or you think you hear the Holy Ghost speak to you? That could be a little bit dangerous. What if it's a false prophecy, Peter says? So God has given us what Peter calls a more sure word which is the written word. Once again, he's a good father. And he's saying to you, you know what? You might get confused. One day you might think you hear something and it won't be me. So I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll write it down. I'll write it down. And whilst you're on earth, this book, the Holy Scriptures, will be the final rule for all faith and doctrine. And I would say to you, a guideline for your life. So you see, the conscience is there. But we have advanced way past that, and we need to take full use of these things that God has given to us as believers in the world. If you were going to London or something, right, and you were out there and you got on a coach, and the driver got up and said, right, we're just ready to go, and he got out a compass and he started to look which way south, you know? <laughs> You'd get a little bit worried, maybe. You would much rather he had a GPS, correct? Well, the conscience is a bit like a compass. It may give you, it may be faulty, but it may give you some general directions. But the Word of God is really like a GPS. It gives you the whole instructions all the way through. This is a difficult topic. It's a, and as I say, I think it does awful damage. It can be a very strict, hard life living under your conscience. It can be a very hard dictatorship, and it can be something that God never intended, you know, for you. And you've got to be very careful how you handle that. On the other extreme, some people's consciences are so seared, so damaged, that, you know, they let themselves off with anything. Let me just show you a, a list of things where you can do a bit of a self-assessment on how you're currently coping with your own conscience, how you're coping with any guilt, that, that your conscience may try to bring to you and how you process that. You can tell that someone is struggling with dealing with guilt in their lives, number one, when they have an inability to enjoy their relationship with God. You see, we're fallen human nature just turns automatically to religion and to works as soon as anything goes wrong. It's just an instinct within us. And an inability to enjoy that freedom in God, you can see it in believers who struggle with coping with guilt or struggle with silencing their conscience when they need to. Their lives become all about rules, all about disciplines and laws and do's and don'ts. And that can be a very harsh reality because it's not based on relationship. Of course there's disciplines in our lives, but the goal of them is relationship. The goal is God, not the discipline. The discipline is a route to God, and it's all about God. Amen? So those who struggle, often you will see in them a, 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 a problem with enjoying their relationship with God, not enough joy in their lives. Secondly, 
You can also see someone who struggles with guilt by their exemplary behavior. Let me qualify that. Am I saying we shouldn't have exemplary behavior? Of course not. We should live exemplary lives. But every now and again, you come across a believer and what they present to you, <laughs> you just know it's fake. You just know that the person they are presenting to you is not the real them. It's too good to be true. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's too good to be true. And you can tell that the person is struggling within themselves and they want so much to be that example. But something inside you says, do you know what? I just find it a struggle to believe that you're that good. Such a person is struggling with dealing with guilt within themselves often and don't know how to cope with it. You can spot it with binging. I don't mean alcohol. I mean sin binging. You see, if you can't get guilt out of your system, sin is going to grow up within you. It's a technique, a tactic of the devil. We must clear all guilt. All guilt, all condemnation must be removed from our system, right? Through communion, through relying on the blood of Jesus. And when we do that, we can walk tall and walk on. But listen to me. If guilt remains within you, it will eventually wear you down. It will wear you out. It will eat and eat and eat away at your conscience and it'll grow and grow until you say, oh, what's the point? I'm a sinner anyway. I may as well A, B, C, D, E. So we need to learn how to purge our conscience, as Hebrews says, through the blood of Jesus Christ. You can, and you can see that. So when you see people who are caught in addictions or, or caught in any sin, if the sin repeats itself, right? So, you know, six months clean and then they repeat their sin. It's guilt-orientated. It's because they're not getting cleaned out properly in the first place, right? So binging is a sign. Self-punishment is a sign when Christians, you know, deprive themselves or whatever to try and make up for some wrong within themselves that they perceive. And of course, that's a bad track to take in life. And then they expect disapproval. People who can't cope with their own guilt, who can't process their own guilt, you can never encourage them. You might try. You can pour love and approval from morning to night. You're wasting your time because they just don't get it. They can't receive it, right? Many, 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 many people like this. So what we're going to do today is I want you to think about yourself a moment. Think about your life. Think about your upbringing. And think about the things that have made you the person that you currently are. The Bible is a wonderful guide on the conscience, absolutely wonderful. And it gives us many um, examples of types of conscience or, if you like, types of people. And in this room, we're all different, but it's Paul particularly splits it up into categories. There's this sort of person and that sort of person. And he takes us on a little tour of different types of conscience. The first one is a weak conscience. Turn to 1 Corinthians a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7. But not everyone knows this. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol. And since their conscience is weak, see? Since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. 
We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better if we do. <laughs> Remember a few weeks ago we were talking about alcohol? We're no worse off if you do and you know better if you don't. But the weak conscience has a problem with that, you see, and the problem is not with the Word of God. The problem is with the upbringing of the people, their religious background. They struggle with it and we fail to see the liberty that, is, that, that God gives us. And we live under rules and laws that people put on you, not God. Not God. And that really concerns me. The weak conscience is the first one we could look at. And I'll just split it into three. A weak conscience is, is extremely susceptible to any accusation. Extremely susceptible. Can't maybe deal too well with knowing what I'm going to reject and what I'm going to accept. So when any accusation comes, you just, you, you tend to receive it and that can destroy you. By the way, it's not God. It's not God. You see? That's not the result of, of God. That's the result of parenting. That's what that is. It's a completely different thing. That's not the sort of, of work that God does on our conscience. Gordon here, a few, six months ago or something, I said to Gordon, it's Sunday morning, I said, Gordon, I need to talk to you. Would you come to my house on your own? Maybe Wednesday, 7 o'clock, okay? Fine. A few days go by, Wednesday come, Gordon turns up at my place, he looks like he's going to a funeral. <laughs> he walks in with his head down, sits at the table, I looked at him and I thought, oh, I see. He thinks I've called him to tell him off. <laughs> And I sat him down and I, I said, Gordon, I, I asked you to come because I wanted to say something to you face to face. And it was thank you. I wanted to say thank you because all day, every day, you serve this church and I am very, very grateful to you. And the second thing I want to say was I wanted you to do communion. Would you do that? And I wanted to give him some guidelines for doing that. Now listen, when I said to him, I need to talk to you, do you think he said, oh, pastor's gonna, must be going to be saying thank you to me? No. The first reaction was, what have I done wrong? Is it this? Is it that? He couldn't figure it out. You see? And it's, you know, it's not just Gordon. It's me as well. And I would hesitate, is it you too? And no, we can laugh because it's funny, but it isn't funny all the time. It's not funny to walk around with that sort of weight or condemnation on you for things you haven't even done, right? But I'm sure the devil must have it very easy to manipulate this part of you and of me. And we need to be much smarter in the way that we deal with it. You see, what is a weak conscience? A weak conscience is one that finds trouble in differentiating between what it should accept and what it should reject. Simple as that. So we're the product of our parents, you see, and if, they, if we had over strict parents and they kept us within strict guidelines and all the rest of it, you know, that sort of thing, it will produce a weak conscience. It will produce someone who cannot cope with false accusations. They will take every accusation to heart. And Jesus hated this. He absolutely hated it. Jesus preached in two different ways. I don't know if you ever noticed that. When he preached to the Pharisees and the legalists, you can read the scriptures, by the way, he's not talking to you. And this is not the preaching style to you. He condemns them. He slams them because they were putting weights on people who were already guilty from a conscience. 
we're preconditioned because of this broken conscience. We're preconditioned to internalize all this guilt that can be poured upon us. And that's not the Christian life. It stifles the freedom and the joy and the liberty that Christ has brought for us. And it's the same thing today. You know, Jesus would be preaching the same way today. Get that guilt off you. I died to do that for you. So receive it. The second type of conscience here is a seared conscience. Look at 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verses 2 and 3. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars, whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Talks about a damaged conscience. Now, goodness knows, friends, unfortunately, we don't have to too look too far to see a damaged conscience. You can see it everywhere. People whose conscience just doesn't seem to function. I hate animal cruelty. I hate bullfighting particularly. And for many years I've tried to find a Christian society that would work just solely on that. But there aren't Christians. There's many societies, but they're not Christian societies. They are a multitude of things. So they tend to be all new age groups and stuff. So instead of joining them, because I can't contribute financially to something that isn't Christian. So instead I pray and I follow through the progress through Europe. I don't know if you're aware. But there's a bill currently to disestablish that within Europe, which is doing very well. One of the provinces of, in Spain, Catalonia, has already been abolished there. But I hate animal cruelty. I absolutely hate it. Now, if you look at a, look at a bullfight, where there's a thousand people sitting in a bullring watching an animal being tortured to death, and you walk up to one of those people and you say, excuse me, do you see anything wrong in this? No. No. Well, do you know why you see nothing wrong with it? Probably because of your parents. Probably because they took you as a child and they sat you there and said, watch this. And as a young child, your conscience was seared. And now you're completely unfeeling towards that thing. But it's not God. Just because you don't feel it's wrong doesn't mean it's right. Do you know what I mean? Your conscience is no measure in these ways. It's a very dangerous thing. Ask God how he feels about that. Read the book of Jonah. <coughs> and you can look at other things. I remember sitting in a pastor's meeting once, and there was only three of us there, and two of them were my seniors at the time. In the church we were in, we had a champion boxer in our church, and I had advised this champion boxer to give up boxing. I said it wasn't good, not from God, that a Christian should box. And it came up in the meeting, and uh, the other two pastors disagreed with me and laughed at me, actually. What do you mean? There's Christian boxers all over the world. It's great for evangelism. There's all these big events in America, don't you know? I said, oh, I know, all right. I know several, actually. Coincidentally, we've met a few Christian boxers in our time, particularly in Liverpool. But I still don't agree with them. And they're friends of mine. It doesn't make it right. And they just couldn't cope with that. So I began to tell them a little bit about, Christian bo or about boxing. <laughs> <laughs> you see, boxing's not like one of these guys was a rugby player. So as he was raised, he played rugby all his life, rough and tumble, right? And he said, boxing's just like rugby. He said, no, it's not. In rugby, the rules are that if you hurt your opponent, you're going to be sent off. So is football. In fact, even the martial arts are like that. That if you do too much damage or you hurt, you'll be sent off deliberately, right? There's rules. Boxing is quite unique because the rules state that you're supposed to hurt the opponent. The average statistical average is 250 blows to the head per boxing match. Now, please, don't tell me as a Christian, and this is where I can really get angry. It's because one of these pastors was praying for the guy as he was fighting. 
to, you know, to knock the other guy out. I think, God help us. <laughs> you know, your brain, your brain is, is suspended in water, you know, it's in spinal fluid. It's not actually attached. It's just, if you're taking notes, actually, Peter, just write down my brain is not attached inside my head. <laughs> your brain, your brain floats inside your head. So the goal of boxing is to pummel the head until you cause like a concussion and you knock the guy out. Now you've got to have lost your brain if as a believer you're praying for something like that. You have really lost it. What's the root? Trace, trace back the root. You grow up in a rugby playing family. It's nothing to do with God, remember? You grow up in a, in a rugby playing family where it's all rough and tumble and your conscience gets a little bit weary over those years and then you come to something like boxing and you don't have the ability to discern right from wrong. Your conscience has been seared by your upbringing. Now one of those pastors came back to me about two or three weeks later and he said, I've been thinking about what you said and you know, I think you're right and I think we've missed it. What was he doing? He was educating his conscience. He was looking at something that he had always accepted as right, and suddenly he realized, my conscience is telling me the wrong thing. Is exactly. Your conscience is wrong on that issue, and you need to educate it with the Word of God. There's no way you could accept boxing with the Bible. Please. To go in, I, 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 the, actually the champion boxer was a close friend of mine and he was praying literally that the Holy Spirit would come upon him. This is dangerous praying. The Holy Spirit would come upon him and enable to knock the guy out in the first round. I thought, God help me, I would not want, it's called tempting Christ and it's not a joke. That's what it's called. It's a very serious sin. You're asking God to do something that is outside of his moral character. And when you get into that realm, you're in trouble, friend. So you see how dangerous these things are? You can have a weak conscience, you can have a seared conscience, and you need to go back and educate your conscience through the Word of God. And lastly, you can have a mature conscience. In the book of Acts particularly, Paul talks about this, Acts 24, Hebrews 13, 1 Peter. They all talk about a clear conscience. Just be a little careful with the way you handle that. Would you turn to 1 Corinthians 4? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Paul talking. And he says, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't mean I'm innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. Paul knows that he actually can't trust his conscience. My conscience is clear. My conscience does not... Con Do you know that Paul killed the Christians, right? And you know what he says in Acts? I did that in good conscience. That's what he says. I murdered believers in all good conscience. I was doing what I thought was right. Right? The funny thing, the conscience, isn't it? Imagine it allowing someone to do that. Now, let me be very clear. Do I listen to my conscience? Yes. Do I obey it? Absolutely. When it lines up with this. My conscience is not the final rule the Word of God is. And if in any way, shape or form, there's a gray, I need to hold on and get this, get the Word of God into me and educate and seek out the scriptures for these things at all times. The conscience can do dreadful, 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 dreadful things. I fear for people with a seared conscience particularly. Somebody once put it like this, they said, having a conscience is like having a watch. It's a great tool, provided it works right. But if it's telling me the wrong time, 
then I'm, you know, everything is going to go wrong in my life. Praise God. Thank you for watching today's program. I hope you have been blessed and edified by what you've seen and heard. Folks, you can see how important it is for the teaching of God's Word to get out to the nations. I want to invite you to do something very significant for your life, and that is to become a partner with us here at Preparing the Way. You can go to our website there where you'll find a way in which you can join up with us and partner with us to take these essential teachings, essential truths, out to the nations of the world. Thank you for watching, and God bless you.